I think. All right, Mark chapter 12. Look in verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had gathered or he had answered them well, asked him which is the first commandment of all. The hymns in there, it would be easier to sort out if I was reading the entire account there. And the scribes have been questioning Jesus and every question they ask, He answered well. And so it was referring to the way Jesus had answered and what He had said. And then this scribe, which was somebody, if you think, and, and know what a scribe is, it was someone who spent their lifetime, what they did full-time vocationally, was to copy things, to write them down. This is way, way, way before parenting presses, that sort of thing. And uh, often these scribes would be people who would spend a lot of their life copying the Bible down and, and writing it. And so they would know the Bible well, and they, of course they, they, they would know the details of it. And so he asked, and asked Jesus, he said, which is the uh, first commandment of all. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. <clears throat> and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. And doesn't it follow that if we would love the Lord our God, fully, as is described here, then we would love our neighbors as we ought to love them. Because if our love relationship with, with God is as it ought to be, it gives us the strength and uh, the, uh, uh, the lack of fear or vulnerability to allow us to have a proper love relationship with other people in our lives. And so <clears throat> Jesus answers it this way. Verse 32, <clears throat> excuse me, and the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, Thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there's none other but He, and to love Him, <clears throat> excuse me, with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love His neighbors Himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that He answered discreetly, isn't that amazing? Uh, one of the things wisdom dwells with is discretion. And when Jesus saw that he had answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. He said to him, You're getting it. You're starting to understand what's at the base of this. He said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man after that durst ask him any questions. So that was the end of that questioning session. Why? Because they saw that this was going somewhere deeper. Interesting title tonight, this thought. I've been excited uh, about uh, giving you this tonight. In fact, I, I was all excited about coming to church tonight. I thought about staying home and getting rested up a little bit. I, I decided to come, you know. And uh, it was because of this truth. And uh, I, I'm going to talk to you about this subject, the realities of living the first commandment. The realities of living the first commandment. Since Jesus said that the first commandment was this that he outlined here, then that should be the supreme target and purpose and goal for us in our lives is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. 
We ought to do that. And to love our neighbors as ourselves. I'll talk about the realities of the first commandment. Uh, I, uh, of course, um, sometime recent in the last couple, three messages, I, I paid my, uh, I paid my uh, um, oh, I don't know, respects, if you will, to what I call theoretical Christianity. It's the kind of Christianity that lets the eyeballs bug out. You say God instead of God, and you know you feel all spiritual because you got goosebumps, but it has nothing to do with actually living according to the Bible. I have no use for that kind of theoretical Christianity. Um, <clears throat> I just I don't have much. I had somebody uh, a while back talked about a particular situation. So, well, that shouldn't go like that. And I said, then how do you propose something different be done? They just looked at me. I said, okay, you said that's not acceptable. How do you propose we fix that? Well, well, what, do you, and I said, do you propose we do this? Well, no, that wouldn't work. Do you, and I said, it's real easy to sit back and say, well, it's not that. Okay, what are we going to do with it? Now, those of us who don't get to live in theoretical land, we have no use for that stuff. Now, here's the thing about it. Listen to me. There's enough people in this room. If we got the idea and really started wanting to love God as we ought to, it is amazing what the power of the Holy Spirit of God could do through this group and could do in the way of good over the next weeks, months, and years. God's not limited. I mean, our place is normally full. It'll be full again. It's just, you know, you go through seasons and cycles, and this year's weirder than most. Um, but th- that's not the point. The point is, what, would it, what good would it do us? What if we dug out the old plans that we have there and doubled our capacity? If someone endowed us with a gift and we could double our capacity, we'd pay off the mortgage first because we're, we're, running, we're running without debt. But we're going to get that paid for and then we, we could double our capacity and filled it quickly. And we're running three, 400 on Sunday morning. That's great. I love more people. I like giving, giving truth to a lot of people. I like giving truth to a few people. It doesn't really matter. I love giving truth out. But listen to me. What good would it do if we had together that sort of crowd and all it was was a social gathering? What good would it do if we didn't love God and weren't learning to love God? I know there are always baby Christians and I know there are people who are not walking in the Spirit of the Lord at any given time. And I know there are people who have suffered defeat at the hands of their own flesh and the world and the devil and all this thing. I get all that. I've been at this a long time. But I'm going to tell you something. God wants us to love Him. And here's the thing. Every step towards that, He's behind us on it and says, hey, I'll help you. But there's some realities to it. Let me show you these from the Scripture here. I had these thoughts with it. First of all, let me say to you, the command is clear. The command is clear. There's nothing ambiguous about this command. Love the Lord thy God. I went into a printing place in town uh, some years ago. We were getting a banner done for something we were doing. And, and, and I went in and there were two ladies talking and, and uh, they were back and forth about this or that, something about the Bible. And one says, well, you know, uh, the, uh, the, well, it's according to how you interpret it. And they were going on as one of those type of discussions. And I'd been working in some kind of physical work around the church here. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm incognito. I look like, you know, I've been, been doing construction type stuff. And I came in and the person who ran the, uh, the printing place said, he's a pastor, ask him. Oh, and I was sneaking in on this one. And so the lady said, well, isn't it, you know, what you read in the Bible, isn't it according you know, to your interpretation? And I said, well, first of all, the Bible said that the Scriptures of no private interpretation. I said, but let's try this one and see how you interpret this. He that hath the Son of God hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And they both just stopped and looked at me. And I said, 
it's hard to put any interpretation on that, isn't it? They go, that's pretty clear. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty clear. And uh, you can spend all your time out in the weeds. There are things that you can have an opinion about and you can have a question about and all this. But let me tell you something. There are some things that are just flat out clear. How more clear could we ever get than thou shalt love the Lord thy God? Well, that's just straightforward, isn't it? I love that kind of thing right there. So the command is clear. Then the criteria is concise. You say, what do you mean by that? It's this word, this small, very powerful, potent word, all. Let's look at the passage again here, if you will. It's when Jesus was answering the question back in, back in our text back there, and He's answering the question to this, uh, to this uh, scribe which had questioned Him. He said, uh, ver- verse 30, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with how much of your heart? All. all. That's all of your heart, all of my heart. And with how much of our soul? All. With how much of our mind? All. And with how much of our strength? That word, the criteria is concise. The commandment's clear. The criteria is concise. God wants it all. There he is. I unapologetically preach that God wants all of us. And you know what? (laughs) There's no better place for all of us to be. There's no better place. How could we ask for any more evidence that our Heavenly Father loves us and wants what's best for us? He spared not his own son. Isn't that, isn't that the measurement given in the Bible? We can trust him. And then let me say the consideration is comprehensive. In other words, all parts of our being are considered in this commandment. Look what he said. He deals with the heart. That's the center of our affection and desire. You know, the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And what is this? The heart. He deals with that. He deals with where our affection is, where our desires are. That's the root. That's where the thing comes from. Then he deals with our soul. <coughs> Excuse me. That's the living essence of a person. It's that which communes with and is affected by others. That is the thing. You've heard somebody being a soulmate. You ever heard that? You ever heard of soul food? Something like that. Uh, but they, uh, it's okay. You're allowed to laugh. Um, that's, the, uh, that's affected by others. And our mind. Now, it's interesting, when the scribe says something about it, he uses the word understanding. And that's actually not a bad thing because the Bible, as it does, if you just take the Bible for what it says and believe it, will define itself as you go through. Uh, The best defining book for the terms in the Bible is the Bible. And he said, with all of our mind. What is that? That's, that's, That's our intellect. Um, that's understanding that involves all those aspects that combine to what we call intellect. By the way, if you take this idea of the mind and the heart together, guess what you have? You have our motives. So the first commandment is, it's a consideration, it's comprehensive. It takes in every part of what we are. It doesn't leave anything out at all with it. And lest I leave something out, he said also, all of our strength. What is that? That's our force and energy. That's our our force and energy morally, intellectually, spiritually, and physically that we would give it to God. That we would would yield ourselves to God. I was talking to someone once and they were were, uh, getting victory over over the smoking habit. And uh, we dealt with it very directly. It was a hindrance in their spiritual walk. They knew it was. And... uh, as I talked about it, 
They said, well, I know it's bad for the body. I said, well, yeah, it's bad for the body. Uh, you know, it's just very, very bad for health. I said, but that's not the worst problem with it. And they said, really? They said, well, I know it's bad for my testimony too. I said, yes, it is bad for your testimony. I said, but that isn't the worst problem with it. And they said to me, they said, well, I know it's a complete waste of money. I said, yes, it is. But that's not the worst. If you're a one pack a day smoker, you spend over $1,600 a year on cigarettes. You can build an entire church in the Philippines for it to go out and smoke. You could get the gospel to another country and keep some people out of hell and you wouldn't smell like you'd been there. That's a good deal. And so I told him, I said, yes, you're right. It's a complete waste of money. But that's not the worst problem. They said, what's the worst problem? I said, it has control of you. That's the worst problem. Why? Because it's hard to love God and serve God with your all if something has you in bondage. Whether it be that, whether it be whatever it is. By the way, that's why gluttony and drunkenness are put in the same verses. Because it's a case of the flesh controlling instead of us being yielded to the Spirit of God. And so uh, these, things, these things are here. One of the realities of living the first commandment is that there are at least three very practical hindrances to doing so. Now, watch this. I'm going to give you something that's just down where you live with this. There are three very practical hindrances that come when we set ourselves to wanting to live the first commandment. You need to be aware of each, give attention to it, and take real steps to overcome it. Let me give you the first one, and that's this. There's a corruptive process. Corruptive process. Um, a corruptive process is just something that corrupts or makes something bad that gets in and ruins it. I had uh, uh, Monday, I'd had two crowns, uh, two teeths, uh, two teeths, two teeth, two tooths, two tooths. I don't teeth or tooth. Anyway, a couple of these things had uh, I had I had a multiplicity of molars. I had I had to have two crowns put on, right? And I know why they're called crowns. It's the price, amen. And it's um, I have temporary crown in there now. It's sort of like a, I'm sort of like an intermediate king, you know. A, a temporary crown put on, and uh, when they went to put the crown on, they they did some silver mining. Got the old silver old silver filling out of there. And underneath, there was some corruption under there and some decay. And then, thankfully, it didn't get down to the nerve pulp. I was glad about it. Some of you, I'm talking about getting dental work, and some of you are just, <laughs> you're doing this. Doing it. <laughs> this is great. These expressions are great. I won't describe the drill. I stopped the dentist. I said, whoa. And started, she goes, what? I said, you didn't tell me you were going over to a Dremel. I don't know what you moved over to, but my head's going, that's like, good. Now you're jackhammering my head. But um, anyway, it's uh, two hours later, I was done with the process. But... When, when I was having this done, when they removed that filling, there was decay under there, which would have went down into the nerve area and would have caused problems. I told, I told the, told the uh, I almost said veterinarian. What is it? Dentist, not veterinarian, dentist. I told her, I said, <laughs> I don't know what I went to. I, <laughs> I think I found the problem. Um, I told her, uh, I said, you know, I said, man, I said, it's a good thing I busted that tooth. She looks up and she goes, why is that? I said, we'd never found that. That got bad. She goes, well, that's probably what caused it to break. I said, in any case, we got it cared for now. Something, corruption is something, a decay, something that gets in that makes something go bad, um, makes it turn and, and go bad uh, on you. And there's a corruptive process because you see, love's a very pure thing. Love and lust aren't the same thing. 
And when this old world, this old blind world that we were all part of in our lost condition, most of the time when this old blinded world says love, what that means, lust. It's, it's about satisfaction of appetite and using somebody. But thank God what God talks about, about love, is something pure. And it's something right. And it's something holy. And what happens, a corrupt, there are corruptive processes which hinder us loving purely as we ought to love. Let me say this to you. Uh, any corruptive process that's introduced in any of the four areas, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, will hinder or block our obedience of the first commandment. Let me give you an idea. And you'll, you'll recognize portions of Scripture throughout what I'm saying. I'm not giving you any philosophy here. I'm giving you Scripture or what, what it says. I'll give you examples of what I'm talking about. This is really important. Do not miss this part about the corruptive process and what it does towards our love for God. If you set your affections on things of this world, that corruption will hinder or block your loving God with all your heart. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to say, if riches increase, set not thine heart on them. Why? It's a corruptive process. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart. If you grudge one against another or fail of the grace of God so that there's a root of bitterness springing up, if you bite and devour one another or be puffed up for one against another, then that corruption will hinder or block your loving God with your whole soul because that's an interactive part of you between you and other people. In fact, Jesus said, if you do not love, or the scripture says, if you do not love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you have not seen? So you see what I mean? It's a corruptive process. People tend not to think how things are attached. Um, And I'll deal with that in a minute, how that happens. If you give heed to fables, if you are carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, if you do not beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ, if you do not remember that men can be ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, if you, uh, if you do not avoid oppositions of science, falsely so-called, if you, like Eve, are beguiled by the subtlety of the serpent so that your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ, then that corruption will hinder or block you loving God with all your mind. That's why the so-called institutes of higher learning are so dangerous because they're actually indoctrination centers. Very corruptive. And by the way, that's true with most things that that, uh, fashion themselves to be Bible colleges. Old preacher Van Tabler said the happiest thing in the world is a young preacher before he meets a theologian. As you know, I'm not anti-education. I have two college degrees. We started a school here. I'm probably not against education. What I am against is the corruptive process of degenerative thinking that's adorned with academia. 
And when we let that corruptive process in, when we give heed to fables, when we are carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive, when we pay and give credence to oppositions of science falsely so-called, when we do these things, when we, are, when we are spoiled by philosophy, then what ends up happening, that corruptive process keeps us from loving God with all our mind. Tell me what would be more, more fundamental to a love relationship than something called trust. A truly loving relationship cannot operate without trust. To whatever degree trust is lacking, so will true love be lacking. And if we do not trust God, if we're always questioning God, if we're always second-guessing God, if we're always imagining ourselves to be the final arbiters of truth, then we cannot help but have a corrupted process and not love God with all our mind. Would that we would set down the vanity of our own intellect and go first to the revelation of God for our understanding. I didn't say set down reason. God gave you the capacity to reason. But the Lord said, come now and let us reason together. You know what reasoning with God is for us now? You're not going to hear His voice talk to you directly. He's given you His eternal Word and He's given you a complete Word. And you can come with your reasoning, your understanding, and all of it to the Word. But if you come to it not as a master coming to something that you're trying to conquer, but if you come to it as a loving child of God, trusting the Word of the Father, you will be amazed what He can teach you. The psalmist said, I have more understanding than all my teachers because I keep Thy Word. And that's really where it comes from. Um, if you fail to flee also youthful lust, if you disregard the truth in Proverbs, which says, Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. If it could be said of you as it was derisively said of another in the Psalms, Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness, then that corruption will hinder or block you loving God with all your strength. I think one thing that we're getting as a people across the board, I think the message we're getting is this, our strength is very failing. One of the best things that came from me uh, injuring myself and having a brain injury from the accident I had was this, not being able to. Not being able to. Could always just keep running, do without sleep, do whatever needed done. But when you get to a point where you just can't do it, you start finding out that may be the best lesson you ever learned. And then you find out God's looking at you saying, well, you knucklehead, you finally get it. You finally get how much better it is to walk with me and depend on me. And I think I've had to re-get it a few times, Alyssa. I think my head was hard enough to keep me from getting killed when I land on, but it's also hard enough i got to get thumped a couple of times sometimes. You know what I mean? And thank you for not amening, by the way. So one problem is the corruptive process. I've mentioned some very specific scriptural things. 
You examine yourself even after the message and find out what are the corruptive processes coming in? You can't keep dumping the filth of this world into your eyes and ears and, and love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and mind and soul. You're corrupting your mind. You can't fully love God with a corrupted mind. I can't. You can't. How foolish. You can't find your... Your music can't be that which glorifies rebellion and fornication and promiscuity and drunkenness because all music teaches it's what music was designed for. And Lucifer was such a creative being that he had instruments of music built into him. That's what he did. And the incredible, powerful medium of music was made to honor God. But in the perversity of sin, it becomes twisted and degenerates an entire society. How, do we, how can we think that something that was specifically designed to teach and instruct, that we can get it where it teaches and instructs for just, I guess the most graphic I ever heard of it, and I say graphic, you know me, I'm not going anywhere vulgar or out of the way, I don't do that. But I mean, just far stark, was we were coming across over by Washington Courthouse, we were going over towards my mom's for Christmas many years ago, the children were young, and we were checking, finding a different radio station. Remember back then, there was you had to find something called a radio station, and out towards Washington Courthouse, mainly the number one radio station was Static 101, and uh, you know that was uh, 101 FM Static. That was it. But um, we were looking for somewhere that was playing the traditional Christmas music. You know, we we're going along with that. You remember what that was? You know, and anyway, um, we were looking for it, and. I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking at different channels on the, the things over there. And I land on this station. See what this is? And it comes on. It was some country station. It says, such and such FM music to cheat by. <laughs> How would someone... And no doubt there's some people who are Christian people probably listen to that station. How would that be a focus? How would you put that corruptive process in and love the Lord thy God? At the very least, it'll severely hinder. Then the second thing I want to tell you about is compartmentalization. First one's a corruptive process. The second one's compartmentalization. Let me explain the term to you and, and what I mean, uh, or what it means, not what I mean. Words have meanings. And uh, some of the pros and cons. The compartmentalization used in this context is the idea of being able to uh, move from one thing to another thing or maybe uh, uh, section things off in what you do and in your thinking. There are some pros to this type of thing. It is absolutely necessary for certain uh, types of work and certain professions to be able to go from one item to another item. And, and deal with things with it. It is essential for healthy living. If you get somebody and they just completely fall apart and no matter what's going on, they can't get their act back together. Uh, I think, and I'm not, I'm not accus accusatory in this, but uh, I, I think about where I saw one time a, a mother, and I can't imagine the grief, but the loss, loss of an infant, and yet for I know for over six months totally neglected the three children which were living. And just, I mean, total neglect and totally went into this. You say, preacher, that's a harsh judgment. I'm not making judgment. I'm telling you, those kids still needed her. I'm not passing judgment telling you I'd do this or I'd do that. I'm just saying the inability to say I'm hurting very badly, but there's still things I have to do. 
is a serious damage to more parts. So compartmentalization can have some very pros to it, but it also can have some cons to it. And they say, what do you mean by that? It, it can, it can uh, make you seal off sections of your life. It can cause you to become, uh, to, to just crush emotions. And we are, we are designed in the image of God. I know that's not news to you if you're a Bible believer. And our God loves, our God can be grieved, our God has joy and all this. And so part of our being is emotional. And Mrs. Short said something to me on the phone and my wife and I talked to her about a part of an hour. As I mentioned, as we were driving up towards, uh, uh, towards the Amish country on, on whatever, Monday evening. And uh, uh, she said, she said, Pastor, I don't want to make any quick decisions because that's not a good thing to do in my situation. She goes, I've got to make some real decisions, but I do not want them to be just emotion-based. So my wife, I said, that's, oh, my soul, is that important? Why? Because she's realizing she's got the emotional makeup, she's going to be affected by things. Well, I would think so. She and, she and Brother Short have been married over 62 years. And so, here's the thing about it. The compartmentalization can become a problem. I'll tell you, it, 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 there are certain personalities and professions where compartmentalization is more prevalent. Uh, my sister has the capacity for it. She has more of a capacity than a lot of times ladies do. My, wife, my sister rather can go from just thing to thing, and she just does that. And uh, she said every now and then, this is her, these are her words, and uh, she said every now and then, she said the female part of my mind starts acting up and the other part of my mind gets mad at it and says, will you quit and be logical? She said, I sat down over something, just sat there and cried, and part of my mind was going, will you just hush? <laughs> I said, I said, sis, you're a schizo, just get away, what are you doing? So anyway, <laughs> that's my professional opinion. But um, she, she has that ability, and, and some folks do, and, and it's... We have different personalities, and, and some folks are more prone to that thing. There are professions where compartmentalization is more prevalent. Police work is. Healthcare providers are. Counselors are those who have counseling or arbitrating as part of the work do. Uh, pastoring is. High-level management and so forth where you have to go from thing to thing to thing. You know, Open the door in my office. One's coming in, brokenhearted over something. Next one's coming in, wanting to share joy. Next one's coming in, needing advice. You have to be able to go from step to step. And I mean, you have to be one to the other. But wait a minute. We have to be aware that we all do some compartmentalization. But why we need to be aware of it and, and, and beware of it is because what happens, it directly affects that really small, important word I told you about. Do you remember what the really small, important word is in the commandment? All. May I say to you, that is the core of the commandment. I know the subject is the Lord. I understand that. But the core of the operation of this commandment is that word all. And in compartmentalization, we can, as it were, seal off rooms in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, and say, God, you don't get to come in here. May I say something to you that I have observed in 39 plus years gospel preaching? I've seen people that I believe went deep into sin because of compartmentalization. I'm not saying it was the cause, 
but they were so able to even lie to themselves. They could have dual or even multiple existences going on without it completely fracturing who they were. So may I say to you, a danger for loving the Lord thy God because that small, very important word is vital. With all. That means He has to have access to all. How lightly we sing all to Jesus, I surrender. I think as we mature in our walk with Christ, that, that song ought to be a deeper and deeper song to us. It's one that we should maybe even sing with a hesitancy and a reverence and perhaps even a reverential fear, am I singing something that's a reality? When I understand the imperfections even of our yielding to God, and I understand the incompletion even of our sanctification before God. But let me say to you, it ought to be the desire. It's something we have to look well to because the maintenance of our souls requires maintenance. And... It affects everything. The compartmentalization. That's what people... I can't tell you the devastation of it. Oh, down through the years, it's, people have said to me, I'll tell you what, it wasn't like... You just saw our family at church. You had no idea what was that, that was like when we got home. My mom, my dad cussing and screaming. This one acting like that. They come to church and talk about that. And I know that. Compartmentalization. No! As important as church is, and the fact that this is ordained by God and, and Christ is the foundation of it. Let me tell you something. We're not to be church people and out of church people. We're to love God in all places, all times. May God help us to do it. I think we all need help in doing this, don't we? I think our flesh is deceitful. I think we can lie to ourselves. You say, why do you think these things? Because Scripture teaches me I can. I need the Lord. And if we're going to actually deal with the realities of the first commandment, then we have to deal with the fact that this thing of all is affected by our compartmentalization. Then let me say finally to you, the realities of living the first commandment, one other thing that can be a hindrance, not only the corruptive process and not only compartmentalization, but let me say to you, calloused indifference. Callous indifference. I take you to Matthew chapter 13. Please go with me there to Matthew chapter 13. Callous indifference. Let's look please. Verse 14. And in them is fulfilled, Matthew 13 verse 14, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah which saith, by hearing, ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing, ye shall see and shall not perceive. Now notice the phrase here. For this people's heart is waxed gross. And you understand the term wax means it's growing more and more so. If you know about the moon, there's a waxing moon and the waning moon. Waning is when it's becoming less visible in the sky. Waxing means it's becoming more visible, moving towards full moon. And it says, this people's heart is wax gross. Their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears 
and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. They were choosing rather to go on in their own corrupt way than, than receive what the Lord could do for them. But that term wax, wax grows and notice it's their heart that does. It means to thicken or to stupefy or render callous. Anybody familiar with an enlarged heart and the dangers of that? It was the enlarged heart, my left ventricle being somewhat enlarged, it led them to find my severe sleep apnea. It was desaturating to 69% oxygen when they tested me. That's code blue. They come running to your room with a crash cart if you're in the hospital with that. My wife said I would go <coughs> and just quit breathing. The longest time they recorded when they were checking me was over 67 seconds. <coughs> my wife would go, is it going to start again? Is it going to start again? And uh, the man slapped me, don't ask, hit me. <laughs> But part of it was the heart. And they said, your, your left ventricle is somewhat enlarged. I said, it's because I'm an athlete. <laughs> Actually, the doctor said, I said, could that be from exercising? He looked at me and he goes, that's only in athletes. And I'm like, oh, shut up. <laughs> but that thickening, that enlarging, it affects everything. It makes it not work right. It causes problems. Same thing happens in our heart, the center of our being. This people's heart is wax gross. Callous indifference. That's why I use that term. Don't care. <laughs> the, uh, I'm going to invert the order here. I mean, look at Matthew 24. I think it would serve you better if I did it this way. Matthew 24. <clears throat> right after a warning about false prophets arising, deceiving many, not a few, but many, Verse 12, Matthew 24, verse 12. And because what shall abound, church? Iniquity. Doing of evil. And because iniquity shall abound, there'll be a lot of it. The love of many shall wax, what? Cold. The love of many shall wax cold. Why? Because iniquity is abounding. And, uh, and this is what it leads to. Revelation 3 will be the final thing I want to show you tonight. Isn't that appropriate? Wish I would have had a reference out of Genesis. You could have said, I heard a man preach from Genesis to Revelation. Thankfully, it didn't stop at all points in between. Revelation chapter 3. What is it that affects... The realities of living the first commandment, there's a corruptive process we must avoid. There's compartmentalization, which can be dangerous to it. And then there's the calloused indifference. And Revelation chapter 3 shows us this with the church with which we're familiar. It's always interesting. I remind you again, when you read of the seven churches of Asia, Jesus will describe himself differently to each of the churches. If you will look at his self-description to the church, you will see that his self-description includes what that church needed. He describes himself as what their need is with that. Very revealing since you consider it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the actual title of this book is. Revelation 3, and look in verse 14. And then to the angel of the church of the whom? Laodiceans, right. These things saith the who? Do you know what that church could use? It could use an Amen. They wouldn't even give a holy grunt. Now you say, well, amen, it means so be it, agreement with the truth of God. I know all the definition of it, but all that can be capped off by this. 
Amen. If you're from a little further down the hills, it can be Heimat. Amen. If you want to do that, all right? That's okay. It could use a little bit of that. It could be in agreement with truth and it could be saying, this is it. I'm going to go along with it. These things saith the Amen. The faithful and true witness. Well, there's a good thing to get some love going. The beginning of the creation of God. And I could take a long time with that, but it's, it's, it'll take me off track. Look at verse 15. Here's what he says to this church. Talking to you, talking to you about the, the problem of the uh, calloused indifference. I lost my page there. Look what it says. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor what? Well, see, they didn't offend me, by the way. They were just got along with everybody. There was nothing to offend anybody. They were neither cold nor hot. They just got along. There you go. He said, I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. God said, you make me sick as a church. That's exactly what he's saying. Because thou sayest. Now, I'm not changing the Bible. I just want you to see how this is structured. It said, because thou sayest. And then look down and look a little further down in the verse. And knowest not. Now, I'm going to read the whole thing, but that's kind of interesting when you see those two phrases. Because thou sayest, and knowest not. Here's Laodicea. Let's read the whole context of it together, right? Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of how much? That's a bad condition to be in. And knowest not. He said, that's what you said about you. And what you don't know, thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and do what? Then look what Jesus says to that church. Behold, I stand at the door and do up. So I knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, look at the fellowship. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He said, even in Laodicea, if you open the door, I'll come in. What are the realities of living the first commandment? Callous indifference will cost a lot of people to ever know what it is to try to love their God with all their heart and mind and soul and strength. That's ah, okay. Ah, serve God if there's nothing else going on. Yeah, you know, as long as it doesn't cost too much. Ah, as long as it doesn't, you know. My preacher used to say to me, and it was, it was a kind of a funny little thing he'd do. And of course, you know, teenage kid coming to church and stuff. And then as we've gotten older, he said, tell you what, buddy, he says, I'll do, I'll do anything I can. He says, call me if you need anything. As long as it doesn't cost me time, energy, or money, I'll do it for you. And I'm like, thanks. So that's an ongoing, uh, ongoing humor. Let me say to you, it's not funny when that heart is there towards God. Because the commandment is, love the Lord our God with all our heart, 
That means it can't be corrupted. That means it can't be compartmentalized. That means there can't be a calloused indifference. And if we're going to have that kind of love, like any real love, we're going to do it on purpose. People say, I fell in love. You may fall in the gutter. You may fall in the mud. You may fall in a snowdrift, but you're not going to fall in love. Being overwhelmed with emotion is not love. Love is an intentional act. I'm glad there's emotion attached to it, but it love, true love is an intentional act. For God so what? Whom? And what did we have to offer him that was lovable? We didn't. So why did God so love the world that He gave His only begotten Son? Because of who He is. And if we're going to love God, we're going to have to do it intentionally. And we're going to have to get rid of the things that hinder that process from happening. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank You for Your words. And uh, thank You for giving them, preserving them. Thank You we have them. And I think I've spoken to a group of people tonight who by and large, want to love you. And Lord, I pray that uh, you know, strike home to our hearts, me and these folks who listen, that we would deal with these areas. Lord, I don't want to get into that thing of compartmentalizing in a bad way. I got a tendency where that can go and what I do, Lord, you know about all that. And I don't want it. I don't want to have anywhere that you're not welcome. And uh, Father, I pray that you'll bless in that. And I pray you'll bless your people. Bless their desire to serve you. Help them tonight to have an open heart toward you. And Lord, that they may learn to love you. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Something you want to bring before the Lord. We have an invitation. Perhaps tonight you're here and you really don't know the Lord as your Savior. Maybe all you are is religious. Well, we'd love to take a Bible and open it. And you get this thing settled once and for all. That your salvation's in Christ, not in religion, not in your own good works. We have a song invitation. Why don't you come? Join those who would come already. And, and hey, it's God, is it all? That's the big word of the verse. All? So I don't know if he really has all of me. Let me ask you this. Can you come and say, God, I'm willing to be willing? How about that? I'm willing to be willing. I'm not telling you to come. I'm willing. You may not be yet. But are you willing to be willing? You need to seriously make a decision. What are we going to do? Are we going to love the Lord our God? A song invitation. Why don't you come? Those who are here.